0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back on this Sunday after Easter. Uh, I'm really glad that you came back. I wanna say hi to everybody watching online. Hi to everybody at Pacala and hi to everybody in Bishopville. We're in this message series entitled Decide or Default. It's based on this very simple idea. Either you will decide to develop your soul or the decision will default to someone else. And I think that there's some questions that guide us as we think about developing our soul. Last week we talked about this real fundamental question, will I be curious? And today the question that we wanna look at is who will I follow? Because everybody follows someone. Everybody has in their mind a model of what a good life is, of what it means to be successful or what it means to be happy. And some of this is unconscious, we don't even think about it. So if you grew up uh, and your parents had a great marriage, you may say, that's my model, I wanna have a marriage just like my mom and dad. If your parents' marriage was mediocre, then you might say, I don't wanna use my mom and dad, I wanna use somebody else. Or if your parents had a negative marriage, you may say, I'm gonna make a negative model, a negative template and say, I want a marriage completely different than my parents'. Either way, it's still a model. Everybody follows somebody. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you do not intentionally decide on how to develop your soul, if you don't intentionally decide which model you will follow, you will default to someone else's model. And in our culture, there are a lot of models that you can default to. But primarily, in our culture today, We define a good life being thin, rich, and successful. That's what you gotta have to have a good life. And if you need proof of this, when was the last time we celebrated a celebrity for being a good dad and a mediocre actor? Or, change it up a little bit, I know some of you watch The Bachelor. Don't don't lie. When was the last time The Bachelor chose The girl with the best character and the worst looks. It doesn't happen. Because they are defaulting to this model which says, okay, if I want to have a good life, I have to have someone who looks this way and who acts this way. Now, in Jesus' culture, they had a model. But just like our culture, there was the model that everybody said was the right model. And then there was the real model or what we might call the shadow model. The model in Jesus's day was what we call the law. It was a system of religious teaching, religious rules. And the idea is if you follow these religious rules, you will have a good life. But there was a shadow model. And and we're really gonna see that in the story of Jesus encountering someone we call the rich young ruler. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 16. This passage has three sections, but it's a really important story. It appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so when a story appears in all three of those Gospels, we know it must really be important. And here's how the story opens in verse 16. Just then, a man came to Jesus and asked... Teacher, what what good thing must I do to get eternal life? The man starts with a pretty good question. I want eternal life. What do I need to do to get it? But there are two great flaws in his question. First great flaw. What good thing must I do? That's the flaw. Now, in fairness to him, this is what he'd been taught all his life. You have to do something to get something. That's the model of religion. People still think this is what you have to do to follow Jesus. You've gotta do something. They say, am I good enough? I've had people tell me through the years, I'm not good enough to follow Jesus. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. And we're gonna see before this is done that Jesus turns that idea on its head. Now, the second great flaw in the man's question is, what must I do to get eternal life? Listen to how he's thinking about eternal life. We're going to find out later. This guy has a lot of possessions, but you see the hints of it already. He's got a good life. He wants to add to his collection. How do I check the box for eternal life? How do I make sure I get that? How do I get my insurance policy? I think people make this same mistake today. They want to make sure that they get something that ensures that they don't go to hell, that they go to heaven, and they forget that's not the definition of eternal life in the Bible. Eternal life in the Bible is about being with God, having a relationship with him, and enjoying it. That's eternal life. You can start eternal life right now. But if you think eternal life is just heaven, you're missing it. So Jesus wants to steer this guy in a different direction. In verse 17, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, it sounds like Jesus is harsh in his reply, but I don't think so. I I think Jesus is just trying to guide this guy. So he starts out with this question, why are you asking me about what is good? And if I had been this guy, I might say, well, duh, you're a rabbi. You're supposed to know. But I want you to hear Jesus' question clearly. Why are you asking me about what is good? Is the rich young ruler asking Jesus for spiritual advice Or is he saying, I'm coming to you because you're the authority? It's a big difference. You see, if if you come to me and say, Clay, I need some spiritual advice, you can accept or reject that advice. But if you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the authority, that means you have to either accept his authority or reject it. You hear how that's different? Why do you ask me what is good? You just here for spiritual advice, how to make your life a little better? Or are you here to come under my authority? Jesus goes on and he says, There is only one who is good. Now, listen how Jesus changes the definition of good. Good is not a set of rules to follow, good is a person. Good is God. And Jesus here subtly is calling back to the first commandment. You remember the Ten Commandments, right? First commandment is, I am the Lord your God. Now, what do you need to do with that? What can you do with that? The answer is nothing. I mean, the other commandments you can do, honor your father and mother, I get that, clean up my room. You know, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Okay, I won't work on Sunday. You know, don't murder, I think I can do that. Some days, right? But what can you do with I am the Lord your God? You can't do anything with it. It is a truth you either accept as true or you say, no, I want to be the Lord God of my own life. Now, one more thing that Jesus does, real important. This is such a rich text. Jesus changes the wording of the question. The rich young ruler Asks, what must I do to get eternal life? <laughs> Jesus changes the question to, here's what you need to do to enter life. Jesus is saying the commandments will point you in this direction. But eternal life is not something you get. It is a new way of life you enter. When I listen to people's stories, uh, and that's the the great privilege I have in my work is I get to listen to people's spiritual stories. A lot of times people will tell me stories like this. Well, I grew up going to church. That's a do. I got baptized. That's a do. You know, and I, I, I've been trying to go to church ever since. That's a do. Those are all good things, but here's what I want you to know. It's missing the main thing. The main thing is Has Jesus changed your life? Has Jesus given you a new life? Now, as the rich young ruler hears this, we're going to see how, again, he drifts toward this, this way of thinking where he's checking a list. So he says in verse 18, which ones? Jesus says, keep the commandments. Which ones? Which ones am I supposed to keep? He's got a list mentality, doesn't he? And Jesus plays along. He replies, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? He's got that checklist mentality. And Jesus says, okay, here are the human relationship questions. You know, are you honoring your father and mother? You don't kill people, don't steal, don't lie, don't bear false witness, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the guy's answer: I've done all that. Now, at this point, most of us say he's lying, right? I mean, that's our assumption. Nobody can be that good. And in fact, most of us say he is out of touch with his sinful nature. Well, what if he's not? It's real interesting. Jesus does not try to argue with him about how bad he is. Maybe the guy is this good. Maybe he's better than us. Let's just check that out. How many of you have ever told a lie? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you just lied. Right? So what if this guy never has told a lie? He, that means he's better than everybody in this room, including me. He's better than everybody watching online. Does that mean he's done? He doesn't think so. This is the point. It's real important. He says, I've done all this. What am I still lacking? He knows he has an empty place in his soul. And so Jesus answers him. Verse 21. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now there is so much in these two verses. We, we really cannot unpack all of it. So I just want to hit a couple of important points. The first thing that Jesus does is he tells him if you want to be perfect. And we say, wait, wait, wait. nobody's perfect. The Greek word here is teleos. It means to be completed, to be done. Help you understand this. If, if you've ever baked a pie, or if you've ever let Mrs. Smith bake a pie for you, what do you do? You put it in the oven, and then eventually you start to see stuff bubble up, and what do you say? You say, that pie is telios, if you're Greek. Right? That pie's done. And you pull it out, Right? And then what do you do? You just leave it there for decoration, right? No, because if you say, yeah, just for decoration, you're back to that lion thing all over again. What do you do? You get out the biggest carton of ice cream you've got in your freezer. You cut a pie so that piece of that still warm pie, and you put a big old dollop. And I know, I know, you don't just put a little spoon. You put a big dollop of ice cream on that pie, kind of let it melt down, and then you dig in. You say, oh, that's good. Because pies are not done when they're finished. They're done when you finish them. Jesus is saying, look, if you want your pie to be done, if you are really ready to start this new life, that's what he means, then I want you to go. Jesus calls this young man to action. Here's something to think about. You cannot steer a vehicle that is not moving. It's impossible, you can't do it. Some of you feel stuck spiritually. The reason you're stuck spiritually is because you're not moving. So here's the simple prescription for you today, move. You say, well, I might move the wrong direction. If you're moving the wrong direction, you're still moving, you can turn. But if you're just stuck, well, you're stuck. So Jesus tells him to go. You've got a mission. And the mission is, I want you to sell your possessions. Now, in Jesus' day, wealthy people would come to a religious leader, a religious teacher, a rabbi, and would, would say, you know, teach me something. And then they would give them some money. And so this young, rich ruler may be thinking, okay, Jesus is telling me to go. I got to sell some stuff and give the money to him. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus says, I want you to give that money to the poor. Aren't you glad we don't have religious teachers anymore who say, I want you to sell something and send the money to me? How selfless is Jesus? And give it to the poor. Scholars debate back and forth. Does this mean that every Christian has to sell everything they have and give it away and follow Jesus? I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because Jesus does not ask any other person to do this except this rich young ruler. It is the barrier between him and eternal life. Clement of Alexandria, who was an early church father, said this, So let a man do away not with his possessions, but rather with his passions. That changes doesn't it? See, because I know some people who've got passions that get in the way of them following Jesus, don't you? In fact, have you ever looked in the mirror and seen some of your passions that get in the way of you following Jesus? And then Jesus issues this call, come and follow me. Now, I'll tell you an interesting bit of biblical trivia. Jesus never in the Gospels says to someone, I want you to come and go to heaven never says that. Jesus repeatedly says, come and follow me. I want you to follow me. That's the goal. To grow a character like his, to think like he thinks, to love like he loves, to see the world the way he sees the world. And then this is so sad. The rich young ruler won't do it. In that moment, he makes this calculation in his head. He said, it's not worth it. And he's actually sad about it, we're told. Now, do you think this rich young ruler has a lot of money? Or do you think the money has him? Who's really in control? To me, this is one of the saddest stories in the Bible because this rich young ruler loses eternal life. This rich young ruler loses the adventure of a lifetime following Jesus. This rich young ruler, in fact, will die and he will lose everything he owns. He is a three-time loser. So what's... What's the question in the first part of this story? It's real simple. Is there something in the way of you following Jesus? When I have talked to unbelievers, when they are brutally honest, they will say, Yeah. I remember talking to a man, and and he, he was coming to church, and we had this real honest conversation. He said, I like coming, but I'm not a Christian. I said, well, tell me what's holding you back. He said, be honest. I know if I say yes to Jesus, it means I'm going to have to let go of some things that I don't want to let go of. You know, I, I appreciated his honesty. Can you be that brutally honest yourself and say, you know, I know if I follow Jesus, that means I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to accept some transformation in life. I once was uh, talking with a man who was an alcoholic and he admitted. He said, I know I'm an alcoholic. I know I drink too much. And he said, I just hate what it does to me. It makes me sad. And I thought, just like the rich young ruler. He said, but I'm just not willing. I'm I'm just not willing. I'm not willing to quit. Now, if you're a believer, following Jesus is what it's all about which means you have to constantly check in and say, okay, how am I doing following? Have you seen the the sign on the back of those semi-trailers? How's my driving? Call (laughs) 1-800-RECKLESS. I I think I need a sign like that on my refrigerator. How am I doing following Jesus? Call 1-800-PRAYER. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be regularly checking in. How am I doing? How close am I following? I, I saw this tweet the other day that really got me thinking. It said If you're willing to change churches because of politics, are you willing to change politics because of church? I think actually even a better way, but it's not as catchy, would be to say, if you're willing to change churches because of politics, are you willing to change your politics because of Jesus? So here's a really brave prayer. It takes a lot of courage to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, what's getting in the way of me following Jesus? And because here's the thing, if you pray that prayer, I guarantee you, your heavenly Father will show you. He'll show you what's getting in the way. Now we're going to move to the second part of the story. As the rich young ruler is walking off and they're looking at his back, getting smaller and smaller. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now this is plainly a warning. Throughout human history, the number one obstacle, barrier, between a person following Jesus and not following Jesus is money. Why? Money represents security, power, status. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the road to the kingdom is different than the road to wealth. Those are two different roads. For the rich person to enter... It is not impossible, but it takes a miracle. Now, before you say, that's it, Pastor Clay, get on the rich. I did a little research. Average salary in the world right now, all the nations of the world, the average salary is about $18,000. It actually surprised me that it was that high. The average salary in the United States is $36,000. You are twice as wealthy if you're average. And let's face it, most everybody in this room is probably above average. You're twice as wealthy. This is for you, this warning. And I know some of you are protesting, I'm not that rich. (laughs) You are, and I'll prove it to you. How many of you would trade places with the richest man in Somalia? Any takers? No, you wouldn't do it. Do you think the richest man in Somalia would trade places with you? In a heartbeat. See, see we, we're in the top 10% of wealth in the world and, and our problem is we compare ourselves to the top .1% and say, well, we're not wealthy. Folks, this is warning to us. And so when the disciples hear this, they are greatly astonished. And they ask, who then can be saved? Why do the disciples ask this question? Because they know the shadow model. They have grown up in the same culture as this rich young ruler. They know that they have been told all their lives, here's the good life, keep these rules. But they also think, hey, if we could just get rich, a lot of our problems would be solved. Some of you think that. I know you do. You think if I could just win the lottery, my problems would be solved. My dad used to say that when the lottery was under 40 million, buying a ticket was a sin. When the lottery was over 40 million, it was an opportunity. There's some, something going on here, and I need to teach you a little more Greek for this. The disciples ask, who then can be saved? The word can is a translation of a Greek word, "dunamos." We get our word dynamite from it. It is a word which means power, ability. It means possibility. So the disciples are really asking, who then has the ability to be saved? And Jesus looked at them. Looked him in the eye and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus uses this same word. So it comes out in Greek like this, with man, this is anti-dunamos. This is not possible. With man, man does not have the ability. And, and here Jesus is making a general statement. He's saying, okay, if you're rich, it's hard. Hey, but if you're human, it's still impossible. It's impossible for us to reconcile ourselves with God. You cannot be good enough. But then there's this great statement of hope. But with God, all things are dunumas. All things are possible. All things are powerful. It is God alone who has the power to save you. Remember how I told you Jesus was going to turn that whole idea on its head that you can be good enough, follow the rules? See, religion is based on what you do. Following Jesus is about what he has done. This is so important. So when you come to Jesus, you come beginning agreeing with reality about your spiritual condition. We call this the confession of sin. It's real simple it is coming and saying i am a sinner it helps if you name it specifically those of you familiar with the 12 steps know the fourth step is to make a fearless moral inventory of your flaws character defects and past failures you need to be honest with god yes i know god hears the blanket thing of sins but but you need to be specific it helps And then you need to admit, God, I can't forgive myself. I can't reconcile to you. I need Jesus. It is Jesus alone who is able to pay the price for our sins. That's what he did on the cross. Now, let me explain how we know that we can trust that. If I were to say to you, I'm going to die for your sins and I kill myself, what would you say? I know what you would say. You'd say that was stupid because he's just as messed up as we are. In fact, sometimes when I listen to him preach, I think he's more messed up than I am. And you're probably right. When Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter, Jesus proved he has the power to forgive sin. He lived the one perfect life. That's why death could not hold him. That's why he is able to do the impossible. And so when you do this, when you confess your sins and you ask for forgiveness, you suddenly realize the only one worth following is the one who can do the impossible for you. Which leads me really to the second question. In this second part of the story, it's this. Am I following someone or something that can do the impossible for me? Let me just tell you, money cannot do the impossible for you. Some of you know this. You keep thinking if I can make more money, my marriage will be better. (laughs) Nope. If I make some more money, I can be a better parent. Doesn't usually go that direction. If I make more money, I can be happier. I, hey, I won't deny that making, having money makes some things easier, right? <laughs> but I don't know that it always makes us happier. As some of you, I know these are not your issues. You're control freaks. And you're just think if I could just have control, I'd be happy. Really? I don't think so. That's why you have to ask, am I asking something or someone to do the impossible for me? They can't. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lengthen this out just a little bit. Some of you have bought into the myth, if I can just find the right person, then I'll be happy. Let me tell you why that doesn't work. There are no right people. There's only messed up people. When I do premarital counseling, I try to say to people, look, find out what's wrong with him and decide if you can live with it. Had a guy tell me his best advice he'd gotten. His wife was right behind him nodding. Yes, it was. He's the one, right? You're never going to find someone who will make you happy because they can't do the impossible. Only Jesus can do it. Now the third part of the story. Quickly, let me cover this. Peter answered him. you got to love it that this is Peter. Because if I had been there, I would ask Peter's question. We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter is saying, I took the deal. I left my boat, left my nets, left my business. I've still got my mother-in-law, my family back in Capernaum. But I'm right here with you right now, Jesus. I want to know, is this going to pay off? I love this. Peter's asking the question that I would ask. It's a question you really ought to ask. Jesus even encouraged you to ask it. He said, before you follow me, count the cost. And so Jesus says to him in verse 28, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now when Jesus says, truly I tell you, it means listen, this is important. And he says, at the renewal of all things. This really means at the new beginning. Remember, Jesus And and what it means to follow Jesus is not just about having a better life. It's about having a new life. Jesus did not come and say, you must be born a little better. You must try to kind of clean up a little bit. Jesus said, you must be born again. You need a new start. And then he says to his 12 disciples, you're going to sit on the 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if I, was Jesus, if I had been there, if I had been there, I would have probably tugged on Jesus' cloak right then and said, are you sure that's a good idea? <laughs> These are not the sharpest tools in the box right here. Let me tell you what I think it does mean. Scholars debate what it means. Here's what I think it means. It means, first of all, in heaven, even though you're not perfect, you're still gonna have responsibilities. If you think heaven is all about you getting to do your own thing, you're wrong. I hear people talk this way. Oh, up in heaven, it's just going to be great. We're just going to hunt all the time. In heaven, it's going to be great. We'll get to play golf all the time. Had a lady tell me one time she thought heaven was going to be uh, an unlimited visa card and a shopping mall. No. Heaven is about being in the glory of God. The glory of God is his beauty. I want you to think real quick about the most beautiful place you've ever been, got it? Heaven's better. It's better. You're going to bask in love. Think about the moment when you felt most loved in your life. Heaven's better. Think about the moment in your life you felt the most grace. Heaven's better. You see, see that's why We need to get away from this idea that eternal life starts when you die. No, eternal life starts when you start following Jesus. When you start living by his values, living in his direction, following him. Now you're not gonna do it perfect here on earth. You're gonna zig and zag, but you're going in that direction. You're preparing for heaven because if you don't enjoy the presence of God here on earth, I don't think you'll like heaven. That's why God prepared another place. It's for people who can't stand for God to be the center of attention. And then Jesus says this this incredible verse. Verse 29, he says, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. You know what Jesus is really saying? He's saying, Peter, you made the right call on investment. That rich young ruler walking away who's getting smaller and smaller in the distance, he's gonna lose everything. You get a hundredfold return on your investment. Let me tell you why that's so important. I know a lot of you, you come from really messed up families. A lot of you, your parents were not the greatest. You've got a tale of abuse. Some of you, you you have had a marriage that is the marriage from, from hell. You, you have really seen your kids break your heart, and you just think, oh. Jesus says, whatever you have to give up from me, now not just because of your own stupidity, whatever you give up from me, you're going to get back a hundredfold. And isn't this is true. See, the harder I try to have a perfect marriage, the less likely it is I'll have a good one. (laughs) Because there's no perfect people to marry. The the harder I try to to have the perfect family so I can put their pictures on Instagram, the less likely that's going to happen. Jesus really is extending this basic teaching he laid out first in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said this in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is not saying, hey, you follow me and you'll be miserable, but you'll do it for Jesus. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, you put me first, and you will have the best life possible. And all this other stuff gets taken care of. It's just that simple and just that hard. We call this the great exchange. You exchange your old kingdom, your old authority for a brand new kingdom, a brand new king. Now, I'm, I'm, this sermon is running long. Deal with it. Because <laughs> there's something else here I really do need to touch on. Jesus is telling us what the church is supposed to be. Jesus is saying church is supposed to be family. You're supposed to love each other like Jesus loves. That's why we believe church ought to be a place of grace. Where all of us get to come together and we all, we all get to say, boy, I've been beat up by life and you have too. So let's just love each other in the name of Jesus. That's why being a small group is so important. Jesus finishes this way. He says, Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. I am not a big NASCAR fan. Uh, just to be honest, it's a bunch of guys turning left uh, real fast. I know, I know sometimes it's a road course and they turn right. I get it. But it's the sound, right? The sound on Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. It just puts me to sleep every time. Same thing, I know the Masters is playing today, but the golf announcers, their voices just put me to sleep. He's there for the birdie on three. (laughs) Anyway, let me tell you what I know about NASCAR. Get off the Masters. It does not matter who leads a lap. Oh, I know they get points in the standings. Who wins the race? Who gets the checkered flag? Doesn't matter where he started. It matters that he's entered. You know, I I think the rich young ruler was in first place for a lot of laps. I mean, he was a pretty good guy. You'd probably like to have him as a friend. I bet he picked up the check a lot. But he finished. He didn't even finish. His car broke down before the finish line. So here's the question of this last section. Will you make the great exchange? Will you put Jesus first? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, because I want this to be a moment of just simple spiritual reflection. And if you're watching online, would you do this? I know it may feel a little awkward. You may be with people in the room, but I think this will help you. Now, if you're driving, don't bow your head. But if you've never decided to follow Jesus and today you feel that emptiness, would you just pray this simple prayer, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And Lord, please forgive me. I'm gonna put you in charge of my life. I'm gonna follow you. Pray those, those ideas, those concepts and mean it. And then get going. First thing Jesus will ask you to do is be baptized. That shows you're moving. Hey, now, if you're a follower of Jesus, your prayer's different, but it's simpler and harder at the same time. Your prayer goes like this Lord, I'll follow you. How am I doing? What is Jesus saying to you right now about how you're doing? So, Heavenly Father, as a follower of Jesus, I I feel pretty convicted today because I still have barriers between me and Jesus. I wanna move in the direction of getting rid of those barriers. And I pray for all the other followers of Jesus that they'll do that too. And I pray, Father, for those who are not following. I pray that today would be the day they feel the emptiness and they turn to Jesus. I pray, God, that none of us would make the mistake of the rich young ruler. That we, Father, would enter into kingdom life. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.